Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of the Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking with Tom Stanton, a fellow at the Center for the Study of American Government at Johns Hopkins University. A former senior government executive, Stanton is quite familiar with the challenges facing government in defending its IT systems. Last year, he wrote a report entitled Defending Cyberspace, Protecting Individuals, Government Agencies, and Private Companies Against Persistent and Evolving Threats. Welcome, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Creating a highly functional cybersecurity workforce is quite a challenge. Why so? Cyber is a particularly difficult area. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has tried to stand up a, a cyber uh, defense unit for a long time, and what one sees is a constant rotation of highly skilled people who really don't know how to work in government, who come into these jobs, get totally frustrated, look around, can make much more money in the private sector, and they're gone. We need to grow a crop of people that understand how to manage government processes, which are different from those in the private sector, and who are willing to stay despite the potential substantial disparities in income compared to what they could earn in the private sector. This is the kind of management, the kind of leadership that will be needed that's much more than a single czar. Do you have any suggestions how to do that, especially when the salaries outside of government could be so much higher? As somebody who went into government for a five-year stint, I can tell you that having a dynamic leader who's working on exciting projects is a wonderful attraction regardless of salaries on the outside. And of course, we now have an economic debacle which potentially could reduce some of the disparities. Government under the right leadership could be a great place to work, say, for the next five years. We don't expect cyber types to be lifers, but it would be great to create a system where people rotate in and out with the expectation that they'll be there for four or five years and really make a contribution as part of a high-powered team. That would be the way I'd attack the problem. This is not necessarily unique to cybersecurity. Can you cite some examples that you've seen in government, whether in federal or elsewhere, where there's some kind of incentive or some kind of challenge that brought people into government? I'd have to look at the National Institutes of Health, where you have medical doctors who could have earned more on the outside, although they get more than the usual civil service salary. But they come in because they want to attack some fundamental health problems. I can think of the Center for uh, Disease Control in the same light. We had a number of other projects over the years. I was thinking of the Manhattan Project, but the Manhattan Project's interesting. There's an organizational device called the Federally Funded Research and Development Corporation that they used in the Manhattan Project and other projects when people simply couldn't live with the low salaries. It's essentially a captive nonprofit that works for the government. And I would think cyber would be a natural location for this kind of nonprofit that would be like a contractor, but it would work solely for the cybersecurity czar and would give the cybersecurity czar the capacity to promulgate and implement various initiatives. And you could pay people then more than the standard civil service salary. And you also could develop a culture that had tremendous dynamism involved. Now, another challenge can be whether or not there are people willing to go in government is the, just the number of people out there with the skills that are needed. Uh, do you see that as a, as a problem, and how would you surmount that? I guess people need to know coming in 
what to expect about government. And I would say that it would be very useful to have systematic training programs. I'm not the only one who has sat in a room when a political appointee walks in, makes an announcement, I have today decided the following. And everybody in the room, all the career civil servants and me, understood there was no linkage between what they said and what was going to happen. We need to train our political appointees coming in, particularly those in an area like cyber where we want them to stay a while, that this is a real job, and if you're going to succeed, here are some of the tools you need. It could be a three-week training course. It could be very intensive. Bring old bureaucrats in. Bring people in to explain both the frustrations and the successes. Case studies are a natural here to show how people have succeeded. That would be the first step I'd take, to make sure that when people take the job, they understand what the job is all about. On the corporate side, you have the same problem when your CIO may be technically trained but may not have the people skills to prevail on top management. You need to train those CIOs to have both the technical skills and the people skills if they're going to do their jobs right. And the same is true when somebody comes into government. In answering the question you mentioned about political appointees, and uh, maybe we were talking about two different things, I was thinking in terms of the technical experience that people are hired in government to do and a shortage of that. Do you see that as a problem? I think in today's economy, it'll be easier. I think what government has to offer is the opportunity to be at the leading edge of solving important national problems. I view people coming into a cyber unit as having the same mentality. We bring them in because they can really help solve big problems. And that's a challenge for a lot of people who may not necessarily be motivated just by money. How do you implement all this? Leadership, appointing the right person. I mentioned this kind of captive nonprofit unit, so you can at least pay a little better salaries. And you can also develop much more esprit because it won't be subject to all of the restrictive government rules because it'll be a nonprofit rather than an agency of government, but it'll be serving a government agency. And then put somebody in charge of that that everybody respects, who knows how to manage and can lead a team like that. And the second step, I'm thinking of a uh, former deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, John Koskinen, who helped solve the Y2K problem for federal agencies. He described his role as herding ducks. You need somebody in this czar position, for example, who has John Koskinen's ability to herd ducks to get these agencies for all of their turf issues, for all of their infirmities, for all of their distraction to other elements of their mission, to focus on this and get it done. There's a huge element of leadership at a number of levels of the cybersecurity effort in order to make it work. Somebody's got to be willing to listen. For example, trying to influence the private sector. You want to talk to the private sector. You want to find out how can we get the best progress by imposing minimal burdens. And you want to understand trade-offs, and you want to understand sector by sector. Where are the weak points? What needs shoring up first? This is sort of an ability of somebody to sit down and listen to a bunch of stakeholders. It isn't a paper exercise. It's a real exercise. And again, it's leadership. You begin to galvanize people to move forward. You create incentives for that to happen sounds as if the cyber czar should be someone who is an implementer, that the White House should have operational control over government IT security. 
Operational control is hard because of the way the laws are written and the way the congressional committees work, but at least it should be somebody who can bring the agencies together and create incentives, maybe using the Office of Management and Budget and their control over the budget process to induce agencies, either lead them or support them where they have weaknesses or create incentives where they're simply being obstinate different strokes for different folks, depending where the agencies are in terms of their willingness and their capacity. But it should be somebody who knows government and knows how to implement. You're absolutely right. This is an area where you don't want to be penny-wise and pound-foolish. The same way that President Obama moved forward with health information technology, committed substantial resources in the stimulus bill. This is an area where it's worthwhile to commit substantial resources as long as we're spending wisely because we can save an awful lot of money on the back end through problems that we avoid. Thanks, Tom, for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, thank you. That's Tom Stanton of Johns Hopkins University's Center for the Study of American Government. I'm Eric Chabro of the Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.